1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On The Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. My co-host and our real estate expert is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. We begin this morning with a topic that has been on your mind, Asif, for a long time, affordability. That's right, Tina. And the Ontario government is establishing a housing affordability task force. And to talk to us a little bit more about this, and other wins for realtors in the fall economic statement is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, Tim Hudak. Tim, welcome back. Yeah, good day, Asa. Thanks for being back on the market. Tim, uh, our first question is going to be, uh, you know, is Oria pleased with the province's plan to make home ownership more affordable? Yeah, let me first say there's been a lot of progress to date, and I can talk about that in a moment, but... You never rest on your laurels, and when it comes to making sure that hardworking families who play by the rules, save their money, want to open and buy a home, will have every chance to do so, we need to go further. So last week, there was what they call the Fall Economic Statement. It is a big update by the finance minister. It's kind of like a halfway-in-the-year report card on the finances and their plans ahead. We're very excited to see a couple of initiatives we asked for in that update, Asif, and very importantly, a home affordability task force, a chance for experts in the field to roll up their sleeves and put ideas on the table for government to bring more supply, more inventory, and help keep homes within reach. That was a big win for us. Now, you said that there have been, you know, quite a few um, wins or progress to date. What can you tell us about that? You know, for a long time, uh, we were developing, you know, roughly sixty to 60,000 homes per year in Ontario, which, which sounds like a lot. But based on population growth, the millennials who are getting jobs, having families looking for homes and immigration, Tina, we needed about 100,000. So we were barely halfway there. And no wonder people are falling behind. That means a lot more buyers and fewer homes on the market. So we uh, brought forward a number of ideas uh, to all the political run up to the 2018 election campaign. The uh, Ford government, we went to work with them, showed them our homework, and they took eight out of our 10 ideas, which was awesome. That's an A, I still think. And they put those into a piece of legislation called the More Homes, More Choice Act. It was probably the most pro-homeownership legislation we've seen in generations. The good news is, because of that legislation, they're up to now over 73,000 homes in 2020. Good progress. They're up another 16% for 2021 so far, and we're in November. So that shows we've come a long way, but we still have a good leap to get to that 100,000 a year. But we've cleared the barriers by at least half. That's certainly good, great news. And, and the government is also incentivizing building more housing on brownfield sites to help with the supply. How is this going to, like, what type of percentage are we looking at to increase, uh, you know, even from the point that we're at right now? Yeah, that was also a really nice win there, Asif. And, you know, one of the great joys of having this job is working with real estate leaders uh, like yourself, professionals out there that, that are fighting for families trying to get a home and have good ideas. So we listen, we do our research, we look at other states, provinces, and countries, and then we put the ideas before government 
and we twist their arms to get them to look at these ideas. And that's whatever political party, PC, liberal, New Democrat, or Green. One of the ideas was to help turn brownfields into homes through tax incentives. A brownfield is you know, maybe an old industrial space that has been closed down. It could be an old government uh, building, usually in urban areas, usually already serviced, so as good for the environment, that you can convert to housing. Now, there are cleanup costs involved, tearing down the building, remediating soil. There's a cost to investors to do that. So the government gets the tax break and says, okay, we'll help reduce those costs. And in return, you bring affordable middle-class homes on the market. And the government announced just that Brownfields idea in this budget. We've been calling it for a long time. We're happy to see it's arrived. And does ARIA expect to see a mix of housing supply? Yeah, you need it across the board. And, and it does seem that, um, that the government and all political parties are listening to that. I've asked the expert. He's there every day and his team, you know, working on the streets on behalf of women and men and their families. But it seems to me we need, first of all, a lot more starter homes, entry-level homes. Many of us have dreamt that if we, you know, grew up in, in Vaughan or in uh, Whitby or Niagara, where I'm from, that you could afford a home in the neighborhood you grew up in. And that is slipping away largely because we're not putting enough first-time homes on the market. Secondly, move-up homes. That's when the family, the kids start coming along, you need a bit more space. And if people move up to the move-up home with a couple extra bedrooms and what have you in the yard, the starter home opens up for that new family starting out. And the other major area, I'd say, Tina, are rentals. We did a lot more on the rental side. I put those three as the prime focus for real estate choice uh, in our marketplace. And it, it does look like the government is getting that. And I hope this Housing Affordability Task Force will drive that home, too. And, Tim, one of the great things that uh, came out a few years ago, and it's being extended by another year, is the Seniors Home Safety Tax Credit. Can you tell some of our listeners what that's all about and what that means for seniors? So an- another checkbox. It's another one that we, um, we we put on the table for government. Here's how it works. So a lot of people for uh, a number of reasons, are looking at expanding their home so parents can live at home. Maybe grandma, instead of going into a home, uh, can move in with the family and help with the grandkids. We have more multi-generational families looking to Ontario uh, to be their place to call home. So this is a tax credit that enables homeowners, whether they're seniors uh, or anyone, to renovate their home to provide for living space for seniors. Maybe that's changes to make it more accessible. It's an expanding space, but it's going to provide housing options for those families that have many generations living in the home or for retirees. You know, we've also seen the long-term care sector under tremendous stress. A lot of people are saying, well, we'd like to keep, you know, mom or dad home longer. This will help them out. Tim, we began this conversation today about the Housing Affordability Task Force. Will ARIA have a seat at the table, and what exactly does that mean? Well, we're going to contribute any way we can, and uh, we'll certainly welcome that kind of role, but it's up to the government to decide. But I've sat on these types of task forces before. I, I had the honor, I guess, with my previous hat on as a, as a Minister of Tourism and former um, PC Party leader to sit on a Tourism Recovery Task Force to say, how can we get tourism back post-COVID? So I think a setup will be similar. So what you do here, Tina, is the minister will pick trusted advisors interested in the housing file, but get from a balance of perspectives. So you probably have somebody from, you know, the real estate side uh, directly, as, as we just uh, discussed. You'll probably have people on the building side. You'll have uh, planners from the municipal side. You'll have environmental folks to make sure the land we use is not 
environmentally sensitive land. Construction unions would make sense of the table. So this is a fresh promise. It just came out uh, last week. But typically, ministers look to have those types of leaders around the table. You hash things out. You'll agree on some things. Other things will be a dispute. But you'll lay out real choices for the minister and then the premier to help bring more affordable homes in the market. We called for it. We got it. We're excited to participate in any way we can. Tim Murray has also uh, played an integral uh, role in, in in lobbying the government for certain things. And you know, where are we at with uh, land transfer tax rebates and making surplus government land available? Where are we at with those, and uh, what do we have to look forward to? Well, as I said, more work to be done. So a couple of ideas on the table that we're going to push, and hopefully this task force will look at them very seriously. You mentioned one with surplus government land. The biggest landlord of the province, your listeners may guess this, is actually government. There's a lot of government buildings that are underutilized or vacant or maybe shrinking if they embrace work from home in some degree or other. So those are already built. Can we convert them to affordable housing options, whether that's ownership or rental? Great. We also see assets, and you could tell me what's happening in your markets, but we're seeing some shrink on the commercial side. So it's an opportunity for combined residential commercial, um, and that will be you know ready-made housing as well. That could be nice sort of missing middle for families that are looking for their first home or downsizers uh, who are empty nesters. So those two ideas we will continue uh, to push. And we do believe that, you know, the government has brought <laughs> a ton of money during COVID for the land transfer tax. I think the two biggest increases have been booze. The LCBO is making a lot of cash. <laughs> and then because housing prices have gone up, the land transfer tax you pay when you buy a home. So we're saying, you know what, take some of that additional money and give first-time home buyers a break. Help them by waiving the land transfer tax for the first home purchase so they get that foot on the property ladder. And I'm sure you'll reinforce this asset. Once you get your foot on that first ladder, it's easier to climb up into the real estate market. The trickiest step is that first one to get your first home. Well, the next provincial election is set for next June. Do you expect these changes to be in place before that time? Will there be some encouraging news then for buyers and sellers and agents alike out there? Some, uh, but you, know, you can't build a home overnight, and you wouldn't want to buy it if somebody did, right? So I think you'll see some of this start to uh, work out. The Brownfields tax credit may spur some projects forward. I did mention that the first bill they brought, the More Homes, More Choice Act, actually took us um, halfway to our goal. We're now 73,000 new homes last year and a 16% increase projected this year on top. So we're making progress. But a lot of the other things, they are going to take time. We need to keep uh, pushing our public officials to make these changes. And I want to say, you know, all the listeners across Ontario and Canada, if they want to get involved, they'll listen on the market. They can go to bringaffordabilityhome.com. Again, bringaffordabilityhome.com. That's where Ontario Realtors lay out our ideas. And if you like them, click on it. Send a message to your MPP. We know who he or she is because of your postal code. If they start hearing from average folks out there, they're far more likely to embrace these ideas and move them forward more quickly. That's a great message for uh, Realtors to spread to their clients as well. Tim, as always, thank you very much for the uh, amazing information and for taking time out of your day to join on the market. Hey, my, my pleasure, Asif, and thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of your clients and also this radio broadcast uh, through the region, just raising the bar when it comes to real estate knowledge across our province. Thanks for the work that you do.
Thank you, and we look forward to getting you on again for an update on what's happening with the task force and uh, where we're going with uh, some of these initiatives. I look forward to it. Thank you. After the break, the Canadian Real Estate Association joins the show. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. On the Market is back. I'm Tina Cortez, and this is York Region's only radio real estate show. Over to my co-host, Asif Khan, from REMAX Prime Properties, with today's next guest. Asif. Thank you, Tina. Joining us next is Michael Bork, CEO of the Canadian Real Estate Association. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Asif. Michael, for our listeners, today's uh, chat is going to stem from a CBC Marketplace uh, episode where they spoke of unethical practices by realtors. So thank you so much for uh, commenting on the video that we put together and, you know, we were trying to showcase that uh, it may be a small percentage uh, of realtors that would practice unethical issues. And uh, I know that Korea is working hard to, you know, change the perception. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your comments on the video and, uh, and how you were working with uh, places like Marketplace and, and also other levels of uh, government to change that perception. Sure. Thanks. Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, well, first of all, the story itself, we, we knew the story was coming. We knew the story was going to be negative. And we also knew that there really wasn't uh, much percentage in us uh, going on the show. People who've experienced uh, that particular show in the past have uh, found that uh, it, it, it was a little biased. And instead, what we wanted to do was uh, just you know, tell people, look, this story is coming. And um, if you see people engaging in this kind of behavior, you have to report it uh, because ultimately what this is about is a very small number of uh, bad apples that are spoiling uh, the bushel, really. And um, so, look, it's a very unfortunate thing, but, um, you know, we're coming up on almost 150,000 members across this country uh, that uh, we're expecting by end of this year. And uh, out of that population, you're you know, unfortunately going to have some people who uh, aren't going to either understand the rules properly of what they should be doing or are deliberately skirting those rules and uh, making everyone else look bad. And that's not something that is just in the real estate industry. I mean, we have bad apples in every industry, and, uh, you know, our, our point in the video was that uh, there's a lot of great realtors out there that do act ethically, that do go by their code of conduct. And what we want to make sure is that we're conveying that same message and making the consumer feel confident in their selection of a realtor and in their abilities to treat them fairly and honestly during their transaction. Sorry, I'll thing. jump in. You know, in, in Ottawa right now, there's a, a really famous case of a, a medical mal- malpractice um, having to do with, uh, you know, a, a local uh, uh, doctor. And whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, an insurance salesman, uh, you're going to have some people in your profession who make everyone else look bad. And so really, the best thing that we can do is police ourselves. Of course, there's a regulator 
and uh, we count on the regulator to crack down on people, but we also have, have an obligation ourselves to report people when they're doing these things. Agreed 100%. And I know Korea has uh, recently sought approval at the 2028 GM to strengthen their powers against unethical realtors. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, let me talk about that because uh, the way I like to characterize it is uh, we have a realtor code and um, we have to have both carrot and stick uh, when applying the realtor code. We, we found that we didn't have sufficient enforcement tools. And so we went to the AGM and we said, look, we need the ability uh, in the case of somebody really harming the reputation of realtors uh, to be able to remove their right to use the realtor trademark and to use uh, our services that uh, allow them to practice as a realtor. We can't stop them unless the regulator does from being a registrant. Uh, but we can stop them from using our trademark or abusing our trademark. So that's an important side of it. But the, the other side of it is that we know from uh, past experience, from experience in other industries, that the best way to, uh, to get compliance and good behavior is through education and through tools that empower uh, professionals to behave the right way. So uh, we're very much focused now on uh, professionalism, on creating the right tools so people understand what the rules are, and, uh, and, and also the benefit uh, to them and to their business of behaving ethically. So our focus right now is really around the whole uh, approach to professionalism and how we deploy education and other tools to really transform the culture so that uh, we weed out these bad apples and uh, and at the same time give consumers confidence that when they're dealing with a professional realtor that they can expect a uh, certain conduct and a high-level professionalism. And I think that's going to be a long way uh, in, in terms of consumer confidence and, and also within our profession to make us all feel proud that uh, we are all acting ethically and professionally. If people want to read your response, uh, where is that available? the statement that Korea had put out? Yeah. Well, the easiest thing would just be to uh, uh, search uh, korea.ca or, or Korea and Marketplace, and it'll come up. Uh, but um, it's very similar to what I uh, responded to your video uh, on, on REM Magazine's site. So I, either place you can find it. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to watch and respond to the video, and, and also for your time today. We really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Austin. When we come back, your questions and this week's hot listing. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. Time now for our listener questions. We start in Richmond Hill, where Jana asks, is my only way to get into the real estate market, is it simply to go in way over asking? I'm very anxious about going down that road, but feel it is my only option. Asif, what's your advice for Jana? Well, that's a great question, Janet. And the thing is, there's a lot of variables that go into an above asking price point. 
what is the property listed at? And once you have some market evaluations done for the property that you want to purchase, you'll actually see if that list price is market value or if it's priced way under market value. The misconception right now is because some people are pricing their home relatively a hundred or $200,000 below what the market value is, it appears that things are selling for two fifty, three hundred over asking, but really it's only about forty or fifty over asking in terms of the market value. So it, it doesn't really matter what the asking price is right now. There's a lot of misconceptions about if is that market value, is it not? And once we establish the starting point, which would be market value, then you can kind of get into what this property will sell for or what you would have to offer. And a good agent would be able to break that down and guide you because what you don't want to do is you don't want to overpay for a property that doesn't appraise because then you're going to need money to put down on top of what your down payment is. And that's when buyers get in trouble. So a good agent will be able to guide you properly and make sure that you're not overpaying for a property. Okay. A couple of follow-up questions on Jana's behalf. Why then play this game of listing under what the actual price would be for this home? That's a great question, and it's a question that I ask a lot of the realtors that uh, we go into these situations with is, if you know it's not going to sell for six ninety nine, and this is a $950,000 property, why would you price it at six ninety nine? Right now, they seem to think that they can get more people interested at the six ninety nine price point and get more offers. But the reality is the people that are looking for a $699,000 property may offer $750,000. So the house is still not going to sell at $750,000. So it's pretty much a dead offer. It doesn't even register on the radar when you're, when you're looking at the competing offers that have a chance at buying this home or this condo. So it's best for someone to price it at market value that you're only going to get the people that are looking at that price point but it's going to you know, shed some light onto what market value is and prevent people from advertising that they got two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand over asking, because in reality that is not what happened. All right, one more question. You said that sometimes the home will not appraise. What exactly does that mean? Well, that's a huge problem. And if uh, you're in a multiple offer situation and it's not uncommon to have 14, 15, 20 competing offers, if someone goes a little bit crazy and doesn't understand what the market value is and goes in 150000 over market value, the bank's going to look at this and say, well, this is great. Uh, however, market value for this home that you paid $1.2 million for could be a million fifty. So that extra $150,000, we are not going to finance. You have to put that in cash. So the bank, if you're putting down 20% and they're financing 80, they will base their 80% contribution to this property on the million fifty mark, which is the appraised value. They're not going to uh, give you 80% of $1.2 million. So that extra $150,000 has to be 100% cash from you. And what if the potential buyer can't come up with that $150,000? What happens to that deal? If they can't come up with that, and usually appraisals are done after the uh, condition period, if you are lucky enough to have a condition period in there, uh, in multiple offers, it's very rare. You have to do all of your homework before. So get your home inspection done before, get your pre-approval done before, and then you go in firm because in a multiple offer situation, that's what uh, sellers are looking for. If you go into a property firm 
and the appraisal comes in lower, you could be sued for whatever the value that you paid for that home is and the subsequent sale price of that property. So people could sell it for $200,000 less because they're going to sue you for that $200,000. So as a buyer, you need to make sure your agent understands the market value and that they're prepared to give you proper advice. Our next question comes from Martin in Thornhill. He tells us that the bank of mom and dad is helping him with his down payment. How do they make sure all parties are protected? Bank of mom and dad is gaining popularity over the last few years and, sure and probably <laughs> doing as many as many loans as the big five banks here. So um, it's it's really easy to protect uh, mom and dad when they are investing in the property. So one could be a, a promissory note. It could be a lien on the property through a second mortgage. Uh, there's lots of different ways to do it. It just depends on your financing because some banks may not allow you to have a second mortgage on it or a lien on the property. And that's when a promissory note or a security agreement, a general security agreement would uh, come in handy and the lawyers would be able to help you with that and also point you in the right direction as to what would be the best protection for that situation. As a reminder, you can send your questions anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that? You know, they can always reach me at 416-985-CON. That's 416-985-5426. Time now for the On the Market Hot Listing. Asif, over to you. And we're going to go to Vaughn, Tina. And this is a one plus one condo. So it's a one bedroom plus a den and two bathrooms. It's move-in ready. It's at 2910 Highway 7. And uh, that's Highway 7 West. It's on the 17th floor. It's listed for just under 600000 at 599000 It is an absolute stunning unit. And in terms of accessing a condo these days, can a potential buyer go into the premises and take a look around? They can. It's uh, it's a lot more relaxed than it was during the uh, peak of the COVID period where you couldn't actually go in and you relied on virtual tours and videos in order to see these condo units. The only thing that they can't go into right now is the amenities. And I mean, that was the case pre-COVID too. People didn't want to allow potential buyers to go into the, the spaces for their condo owners like uh, party rooms and the gyms and saunas and pools, but uh, there's so many videos and pictures available even online for these amenities that you can get a very good idea of what those amenities are like. Uh, you know, th- speaking of amenities, Tina, this has a 24-hour concierge, a party room, an indoor pool, sauna, a gym room, a media room, a games room, and it has a rooftop deck and a garden. So this does have everything. Now, you said that uh, it is a one plus one. What exactly does that mean for a potential condo buyer out there? So with uh, people that are working from home right now, the, the plus one makes a huge difference. So it's a, you know, a smaller area where you can have a desk or, or you can have a little uh, TV or anything that you want in there. Some people that are, have just started a family even use that as a nursery. It just depends on the size of the den. And, uh, you know, some dens are smaller, some are larger, some are just like a second bedroom. So you want to be able to take a look at the premises, make sure it fits your need. Uh, having the two bathrooms is a plus because if you have guests over, they're not all going to use the same bathroom that you use daily. You're going to have your private bathroom plus a second bathroom for a guest to use. 
And at $599, this includes a parking spot, which is really rare at that price point right now. But this unit does include a parking spot underground. And you said this property was on Highway 7, 17th floor. Is it close to the subway? It is. It's uh, it's close to the 400 to 407. Uh, it's close to Fortino's, Ikea, Costco. So everything is right around there. And as you know, the, the Jane and 7 area has the subway station now. So very close to that as well. Uh, great transit, close to York University. If uh, people were investors looking to rent this out, you're going to have a, a number of students coming up from York University. You're right by the 400. So it makes for an easy commute as well. Where can our listeners find more information about this property? For this property, Tina, they can contact Jackie Othen at 647-383-7653. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.